Praise the Lord. Well, I just have one scripture I'd like to talk about today, and it's in 2 Samuel the 11th chapter in verse 1. And it goes, uh, it's, uh, it talks about David, and it's a certain time in his life. But it says it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go to battle, that David sent Joab and all of his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Amnon, and uh, they besieged the city of Rabah, but David tarried in Jerusalem. So this morning I'd like to talk about sidelined. I'd like to talk about Christians and how that we can get sidelined. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, that your word is truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just open our ears and our eyes and our minds to what you have for us, that we could learn about you. And God, that we would be... Uh, uh, just pleasing in your sight, God, and pray, God, to help each of us, Lord, to get in the game, to get engaged, Lord, to be out there and do what you would call us to do. Uh, it's very easy, uh, uh, the sideline, and the, the first point I would like to make that as far as timing-wise for David, it was game time. It was game time. It was game day. It is really easy for me to talk about um, game day. Uh, anybody else like football? Maybe a solid. I'll try not to bore those of you who don't. But so uh, my mom and my mom and dad, my actually my brother, my dad, my brother, my brother's son Austin, and his son Miles, every Sunday afternoon go to my dad's house and they watch football, NFL football. And you talking about a heyday, Kansas City, the Chiefs are undefeated. They are like, yeah, they are flying high. They are so excited because they are Chiefs fans, whether it's good or bad, whether they're you know making a, a touchdown or whether they're are they winning or whether they're not. Uh, my daughter and son-in-law went to every single OU home game last year. Already been this year. They love that they're eating up with college football. And Connie and I are kind of eating up with high school football. So uh, Galena, if you're from Galena, Galena's undefeated. Awesome, awesome, yay, awesome. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we actually had the privilege of going and seeing Caden and Caleb play in Seneca. It was awesome. Caden hit a kid so hard, the ball just popped out of his hands. It was awesome. It was good. It was great. And you should see Caleb run. He's the first one down the field every single time. I was, I was so glad to know these guys. I felt so good. It was awesome. It was awesome. My, uh, and my nephew, our nephew, happens to be the quarterback of Java. So uh, they had a really good season last year, a pretty good season this year. So this is kind of what I wear. He's the quarterback, so it says, a fan of quarter Blake. So yeah, little play on words there. So we're kind of eating up with football. So we got there Friday night, and what we saw, you see on the parking lot that there is that they are starting, they're doing the tailgating. So you see the barbecue grills out there, and they're they're grilling hamburgers and they're grilling hot dogs, and the music is playing loud, and the kids out there, the younger kids are throwing footballs around, and there's some excitement out there. You go inside the stadium, the band, there's about a hundred kids out there, however many it is, they're getting set up in their in their band formation and they're getting kind of tuning up, that type of thing. The, the cheerleaders, the dance team are out there. They're excited. The tunnel's set up and the kids are about getting, getting ready to go through. It's game time. It's game time. There's such an excitement that goes along with that. You know, I kind of think, now I have a pretty good imagination, I kind of think that's how it was with David. Now this was a time, this was in the spring of the year at a time when kings go to battle. So it was time for that. I kind of think when David rode out of town, I bet there were people lining the streets. I bet they were waving banner, and here goes their king. He's going out with the soldiers with the armor. They're going out to win the battles. I bet there was all type of excitement. All these teams, things going on because it was game time. It was game day. 
So I started thinking about that, and I thought, well, what does that mean for us? Well, what does that mean for the church? What time do you think it is in church history? What time do you think it is in the history of this church? Well, Romans 11.13, Romans 11.13 says that, uh, and now knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of our sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we believed. Church, I believe it's time to wake up. I believe it's time to wake up out of our sleep. I, time, I think it's time for us to get engaged, to realize there's a battle going on. We need to get out there and we need to be amongst them. We need to be fighting. So uh, a few things kind of that go along with that. Not only do we need to wake up, but uh, Paul told uh, Timothy in Timothy 4.2 that it was time to preach the word. Now, I'm up here preaching. I feel so honored, my goodness, and so blessed to have the opportunity to do that. But you know what? We preach the Word every day. We don't have to be saying a sermon in front of, a, of, in front of a audience of people in the congregation. You and I are living it every day. In fact, I would say the best sermon, the most effective sermon that I ever preach is the life that I live. So we're preaching a sermon every day. Not only should we preach it, but we should be in season and out of season. There's sometimes that I just maybe don't feel quite like preaching doesn't make any difference. I better be ready to do it. i got to be ready. I've got to be ready to share the word with people. Paul St. Timothy, in season, out of season, whether you just got married or not, congratulations to this couple. That's awesome. Excited. Our newlyweds here. But it doesn't make any difference what time it is. We need to be ready to preach the word. We need to be sharing the word with others, okay? Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, talks, he talks about a time that we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. You know what? I think we've got some spirit-filled people in the congregation. I would think today that when people walk out of here, because we've seen the spirit move, I think you're going to walk out of here and people are going to look at you, they're going to watch your life, and they're just going to say, there's something different about this guy. So when they come up to you and they say, well, what's the difference? We need to be able to tell them what it is. You know what you ask? Well, let me tell you. I will tell you. You know, it is amazing the life change that took place when I asked Jesus into my heart. I tell you, you're asking what the difference is. It's just a relationship with Jesus. Uh, it's made all the difference in the world, and if you don't know him, he can make a difference in your life as well. So again, Peter's saying, preach the word, or Paul's saying, preach the word, and Peter's saying, give an answer. Then in Ephesians 13, it talks about, the, he's talking about the uh, armor of, of God. He talks about that we need to be able to withstand in the evil day. Would you agree that we're living in an evil day? You know what, and I, I'm gonna, I would avoid politics at all costs, but yesterday I was watching TV, the TV came on, and uh, some people were on the steps of the Supreme Court, and you see signs with the worst vulgar profanity imaginable. When did that become okay? When did we say as a society that you can have, speak any type of filth, any type of Again, vulgarity, any of those, those nasty things. Why, why is that all of a sudden okay in public? I don't think it is. Church, I think we need to take a stand against it. I think we need to be to withstand or to overcome. So how did Christ overcome? So it says, you know, after he was uh, baptized by John the Baptist and the Spirit came down and descended upon him, after the heavens opened and God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, after that he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he was tempted of the devil. So how did he overcome the devil? First thing the devil said is, why don't you eat this bread, because I know you're hungry. He had been fasting for 40 days. And Jesus said, man shall not live. It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then he took him up to a big cliff, and he looks up there, and he said, why not? Why don't you just jump off? Because I know the angels will take care of you, and you won't fall. Just jump off, kind of you know, showing off. And, and Jesus looked at him, and he said, devil, he said, it is written that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Then he took him up into the mountain. I think it was probably someplace like Jackson Hole. I think it was in the Grand Tetons. He took him up there, and he said, look at all of this. He said, I will give you all of this if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, it is written that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only. Three different times he battled, and then Satan left him after that. Three different times Satan came after him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Three different times he took the word, and the enemy was defeated. We need to take a stand. We need to be able to stand. We need to be able to overcome. If you're here this morning, and boy, have I been praying. Connie, I've been praying. Do you know this word that says, if two agree is touching anything, it shall be done? I believe that. I think there's trans- transformation that's already happening, but I think there's more, that, more to come. More to come. So we need to be able to withstand. Uh, Daniel, I, I use this first quite a bit anymore, but Daniel 11.32 said, the people that, that do know their God, they do exploits. Are you walking out there, church, where you live, where you work, where your family is? Are you doing exploits? Are you taking full advantage of every single thing that God has given you? If not, let's do it. Let's start today. Let's wake up out of sleep. Let's see that God said, like in 1 Peter 1, 3, He has given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Yes, I can live a godly life. Yes, I can live holy. Yes, I can live in this filthy world as a light that shines for Jesus. Yes, I can because this word says it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Now's the time. Let's do it. So then, then I'll end with this one on. It's time. Mordecai. He's talking to Esther. Esther's going to go into the king. He may take her head because she's not announced. He doesn't ask her to come, and it may be her life if she doesn't. Mordecai looks at her and he says, Esther, my niece Esther, who knows whether they're all called into the kingdom for such a time as this. I am convinced, Christ point, that every single one in here, every member, every body of this church is called into the kingdom for such a time as this. I don't know what God is going to do, but I know he is moving now, but we're just this far into it. There's more. There's more that he has for each and every single one of us. We need to realize what time it is. So the first the verse, we'll go to the second point. The first, what the verse was that um, it happened in the spring of the year at a time when kings. So look at that part, when kings. Oh, the second point I'd like to make is every single player, every single position has a purpose. Every single one of you sitting here today have a plan and a purpose for your life. God wants to use every single one of us. Every single one of us is called. Every single one of us has been, has given a ministry. I, I talk to people and I say, you know, I've been in this a while, but I really, I don't know, I don't know that I really have a ministry. I don't know that God's given me a ministry. And, and in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, he says, he talks about us being reconciled to God by Christ. But at the end of that verse, he says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Every single person in this, in this church, every single person there, every person in the body of Christ has been given the ministry of bringing people to Christ. 
Now, I may be doing different to you. You may do different than me. But every single one of us has been given that ministry. So don't say, don't let the devil cheat you out of that. Don't let him tell you that you don't have a ministry. Yes, you do. It's a vital, and it is vital to the success of his church as a whole. It's vital to the success of Christ Point. It's every single one of us doing what God has called us to do, using the gifts that God has called us to use and given us to use for his purpose and for his glory. Wow, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So if you, look at, if you want to look at the church, 1 Corinthians 12 is a great chapter. We'll start with verse 12 and go to 26. I'm just going to pick out some verses and read. Uh, but verse 12 says that, I uh, said, For as the body is one and has many members, but all those members are one body, being many, all are one body. So there's a lot of members, but all are in Christ. So every single one of us, there's a lot of us different. We look different. Aren't you thankful you don't look like me? Oh, my goodness. So you, we all look different. We all have different giftings, different abilities. But all of us are in Jesus. The very same Holy Spirit that works in this man, and I have seen the Holy Spirit work through Brother Larry. He's worked in our lives. He, he was part. These two were part of praying for us to have a child. When we were waiting 11 years in childless, they're part of the group that played, played Chloe here. We saw the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us has a gift to use. Every single one of us has a purpose. Every single one of us has a plan. You go down to verse 21, and it says that the eye cannot say to the hand that I have no need of you. The head can't say to the, to the heart, I have no need of you. In fact, verse 22 says those things that look more attractive, they're actually going to they have less honor than the things that aren't so attractive. So, Connie, when I first met Connie, one of the things that drew me to her is she has beautiful eyes. So I'll try, I, can I sidestep here for a minute? So we went to our 40, for, for a reunion. I almost, whoops, I almost said how, how, what type of reunion it was. So we went to the, her re, class reunion last night. So everybody went around and they were saying kind of what they had done with their life and different things. So she gets up and I'm sitting here. She stands up, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I am not kidding. There's a few times in my life that you just fall in love all over again. And I thought, look at this woman. I, I looked at her classmates, and I know a lot of them, and, and knew a lot of their spouses. I'm looking up and thinking, whoa! Man, I, I'm married so far above my pay grade. It's amazing. But, uh, but I'm looking, I'm just so thankful. But I'm looking at her, and I'm saying, this is a woman of God. She stood up, and she stood there, and she was very confident. Of course, she's, in my mind, the most beautiful woman ever was, which hopefully your wife is too to you. But uh, so she's sitting there. I'm thinking, no, this, this lady has something different. There's something different about her standing there. She's standing there and it's just like the glory of God. There is no doubt in my mind that everybody in that room said, man, she has got something that I would like to have. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm like, man, it was so awesome. A little sidestep there. But what I was drawn to was her eyes. And even my eyes, my eyes, even as plain as they are, probably look a little bit better than my liver. Would you think? Probably a little more attractive. But not that I want to, God. Please don't test me here. But I can live without my eyes. <laughs> but I can't live without my liver. So you've been thinking, you've been sitting here thinking, well, man, I, I wish I had this guy's ministry. I have had such a pleasure. It's been such a pleasure to get to know Phil a little bit more, to see God work in his life, the anointing that's on his life, his, his knowledge of the Word and how he, he moves in the Word. Uh, so, boy, you, you think of that, but... Uh, but Phil has his ministry, and I have my ministry that's God given me, so that's, that's okay. But I, I, again, I, I love it that God gives those different things. 
Then I'll go down to verse 26 and it says that if one member suffers, one member suffers in the body, we all suffer. So there is a young man that sits right here by this wonderfully anointed lady, Charlene, who is going through some pretty hard times. His back isn't, it's hurting. If Weston suffers, I suffer. So I'm going to pray for him, have been praying for him, believing for his healing. Whether God wants to do that through a doctor or he wants to do it right out this morning. I was sitting up here thinking, I was, I was just, you know, you're just basking in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's moving. I said, could this be the day that someone lays hands on Weston's back and he is instantaneously healed? I believe that happens. I believe God can do that. Church, if we get where we need to be, if we get off of the sidelines, if we engage in every one of us do what God has called us to do, oh my goodness, the scripture says in Matthew 16, 18, that the very gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church. And that's not his coming in to get us. That's going in and take him away. I am tired of him fit with my family like he is. I'm tired of my dad who is 89 years old and he does not know Jesus. We need to do battle for him. We need to do battle for him. We need to do battle. Satan, no, you can't have him. No, you can't have his life. No, no, no. All of us have been given. All of us have been giving purpose and a plan for our lives. Jeremiah, I say these verses all the time, but Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. John, before you were ever a twinkle in your father's eye, God knew you. He knew exactly who you would be, and he knew the ministry, the plan he had for your life. Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Devil, you can't tell me anything different. God has a plan for my life. He has a purpose for my life. Boy, oh, we need to be we need to be using. We need to be going forward for Christ. Um, okay, then go on to the third. Third point I'd like to make is that everybody should play to win. Everybody should play to win. So let's kind of go through that verse again. Uh, says that uh, it happened in the in the spring in the in the spring. The time of the year that uh, kings go to battle, David sent Joab. David sent Joab at a time when kings go to battle. Joab wasn't the king. David, David was the king. So I'll start out. We'll go back and talk a little bit why maybe why David didn't go. But right now, let's talk about this whole idea of winning the battle. Boy, if you don't, if you haven't read this verse, or if you don't have it marked in your Bible, this is a great verse to mark. It's 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, just verses 24, 25, and 26. Let's read those. It says, Don't you realize in a race that everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. So run to win. So I have two medals that I have one here. This is very, very heavy, and it was back in 2013. This is 2016. This is probably a much more impressive medal, but it means much less to me. This is a participation medal. I went to three races in a row. Didn't really do anything in any three of them, but I went to. Didn't win any three of them. This means much and more because this was first place. Are we in it to win? Or are we in it just to participate? 
Do we let the devil just have his way with us, whatever what we do, living willy-nilly? Or are we in this thing to win? We're in this. Again, Satan, no. Why are we giving place to the enemy? Why do we let him run over us? Why do we let him affect our mind? Why do we let him get us down and get us out and get us sidelined? Why do we let him do that when we are more than conquerors through Christ? It's all about, we need to be in this thing to win. We need to be in it in the battle. So again, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 9.24 says we're, uh, we should win. The verse 25 says, And all the athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Church, we're playing for keys. This isn't a practice run. This isn't pretend. We cannot afford to live our life haphazardly because eternity is at stake. My eternity, your eternity, your friend's eternity, your family members members or eternity, they're at stake. Again, we need to be in this to win. We need to be in it. We need to be listening to what God has for us. We need to be walking in it. We need to be doing what he's called us to do. And then verse 26 says, So I run with purpose in every step, so I am not just shadow boxing. Every single step that I take, I should be taking with purpose. There is not a person here that likes to have fun more than I do. I love to have a good time. I love to play. I'm 59 years old and feel like I'm 29. And man, I just, you want to you wanna have a good time? Absolutely, I'm right there with you. But I tell you what, when it comes to life, and it comes to, to the, my life and my spiritual life, That's no laughing matter. Take it very seriously. Take it very seriously. You know why? Because we have an enemy. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, If we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the ruler of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not a little guy in a red suit. It's a spirit. Then 1 Peter 5, 8 says that, uh, it talks about that our adversary, the devil, as a a roaring lion, Romans about seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy out there. John 10.10 says, For the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. So, so met this couple last week. Love these guys. So this is Seth and Mariah. Is that right? Sorry, is that right? Awesome, awesome. So you know what? Now, don't take me wrong here, but you know what the devil wants to do to them? He wants to steal and kill and destroy them. He wants to steal their joy, he wants to kill their testimony, and he wants to destroy their life in hell. He wants to do that to to Bob and to Stella. He wants to do that to Nee and Faustina. He wants to do that to every single one of them. He wants to do that to Doug and Connie. So we have an enemy that out there, and he's going to do everything he can to do that. But you know what? That's not all the verse. The last part of that verse in John 10, 10 says, Jesus said, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So yes, I know that there's an adversary out there. Yes, I know it's a devil. Yes, I know he has power. But he does not have the power that my God has, that our God has. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I love that. I love that. Romans, uh, what is it? Romans 8, 31 says that if God be for us, who can be against us? We're in this thing to win because we're on the winning team. If you're sitting there this morning and you're defeated, this is the last day. Let's make this be the last day. This is the time that we let God have control. We say, God, 
So many times, how many times this morning did we hear, trust God. Chris, thank you so much for those beautiful songs. But we can trust God. We can trust God, Romans 8, 28, that all things work to good, for the good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Good or bad, I know he's working in my behalf. I can trust him. I can trust God. We need to be in it to win it. The fourth point I would like to make, and this is kind of the most sobering one, but this is what, the, this, is what this is all about, is the point number four is that players sometimes get sidelined. At a time when kings go to battle, David sent Joab. Again, Joab wasn't king. Why did David? David is the this kid who is who is tending the sheep with a slingshot, killed a lion and killed a bear. This guy, he was not. This wasn't his first rodeo. He had battled his entire life long. After that, he goes into a camp with all grown men around. He's just a boy taking provisions to them. Nine foot giants standing over there. None of them will take him on. And 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 David says, "Is there not a cause?" This guy's making fun of Israel. He's making fun of God's people. He's making a mockery of them. Is there not a cause? Absolutely. So he slays Goliath, cuts off his hand. It's awesome. He, uh, Saul got mad at him because they go out to battle and, and they come back and they're chanting and Saul kills a thousand and David kills ten thousand. He was not, uh, he was not uh, unused to battle. Where was he? Why did he not show up? Why did he send somebody else? Well, just some reasons that we might think about. And if you're here sidelined today, and, and remember, God speaks to the person who's telling before he ever speaks to you. Man, we've gone through this. We have been sidelined. We have actually sat in church pews. We've raised our hands and we've done the praising, but we've been sidelined. We have allowed ourselves to be sidelined. So today, if you're here and you've been sidelined, you may be, again, nobody may know it. Or maybe they do. But today is a day for you to get back and get back in the game. Get back in the game. Um, so, some reasons. Maybe maybe it was that David was just tired. Let's face it, the the... the the life of a king must be exhausting. Now, he has everything. He has all the toys. He has the nicest house. He has the nicest chariots. He has all those things. But he also has a lot of responsibility, a lot of stress. That might weigh heavy on your mind. So maybe he just got tired. We have every reason to get tired today in our society. We've got so many things going on. We're working full time. We uh, have to pay the bills. We have to mow the lawn. We have to go to ball games and see our kids play. We have to do all these things. But all these things are after our time. So maybe you're just tired. But Galatians 6 and 9 says that be not weary in well-doing. For in due season that you're going to reap if you faint not. You've been out there and you're tired, so you have absolutely sat down. You said, Micah, go out there and do it for me. You sat down, you're tired. Maybe he wasn't tired. Uh, maybe he just decided that it wasn't worth it anymore. How many, of you have, how many of you have been a Christian or serving the Lord longer than a year? So a lot of that, okay. So in, since that time, have you ever gone through any suffering? Ever gone through a trial? Well, I can guarantee you're going to. If you look in the, in the, the book of 1 John, it says that in this world you're going to have tribulation. Not if, but you're going to have it. So Landon, you're going to have troubles. 
It's just going to happen. It's just going to be part of life. It's just going to happen. Sometimes we think, and sometimes it just seems like, man, a Christian? I have all these things going on in my life. Those guys and gals out there that are going around there doing whatever they're doing, they're party hard, and they're, they're living a life of just whatever they want to do, and, and sin and debauchery, there's, everything's just fine with them. And, and here I am trying to do everything I, I can for the Lord and living for the Lord, and man, it's just things just aren't going right. So, you know, it's just, it's just not easy. It's just hard. So I just sit down and say, well, you know, I just don't think it's worth it. But you know what? I guarantee that that person, that that man, that or woman, that they're out there in that sin and their debauchery, they're partying hard. I think they have tribulations too. I think they're going to suffer too. But what they don't have is they don't have Jesus Christ on their side. They don't have Christ in their life. They don't have the assurance that every single thing that comes my way has already been run through God, and God said, all of it, good and bad, is going to work for my good. It's going to work for my good. They don't have that. We have that. We have that. It could have been that he was just distracted. How many times? Well, there are so many things in this world that can get us distracted, so many shiny things that can take our eyes off of Jesus. Maybe they just did that. Uh, this is the one I want to really talk about, and this is the big one. This is kind of the point of the sermon because I see so many people who are in this situation. It could have been that he had been hurt. It could have been that someone hurt him in some way, hurt his feelings, they said something about him, and so he just simply said, okay, it's yours. So listen to this verse. This is, this is so, I think it's so indicative or so much of where people are today. It's found in Psalms 55, and this is the scary thing. 55, 12 through 14 said, said, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. I could take it if it was somebody who didn't like me that was my enemy that taunted me. goes on to say, it's not my foes who arrogantly insult me. I could have handled, I could have even hidden from them. Verse 13 said, instead it is you. It is my equal. It is my friend. Verse 14 says, what good fellowship we enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. That is one of the most tragic scriptures in the Word. I also think it's one of the most prevalent reasons that people are sidelined today. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I would dare say that every single one in this church today has hurt, been, been hurt by somebody. And a lot of them have been believers. A lot of them have been by people in the church. That is sad. That is tragic. You know what's even horrible in this? I'm going to be straight up right here. I tell you what, I bet I am one of the persons who has hurt some of those people. Did I do it knowingly? Did I do it vindictively or maliciously? Absolutely not. But I'm human. I might have said the wrong thing at the wrong time and not even known what it was. I might have been the place, I might have been talking to the wrong person at the wrong time, not even know that I was doing something to hurt somebody else, yet I did. And now they're not sitting in these pews today. It's one thing, and again, for you, for you who are here today, again, God is calling you. 
If you have been sidelined, if you're not actively actively involved using the gifts and talents that God has given you in that ministry of being people to Christ, God is calling today and saying, get in the game. Get in the game. It's time to get in the game. It's time to get in the game. I'm going to use you. I'm going to work through you, but it's time to get into the game. Um, the, the sad, the, again, the, the, the sad thing about that, too, again, people are still here. They're inside, but how horrible the people who aren't coming to church anymore. But you know what? If we could just realize that when we do that, when we sideline ourselves, I'm not necessarily hurting the person who hurt me, but I'm hurting myself. Matthew 6.15, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said very clearly, he said, we need to forgive those who trespass against us. If we don't, our Heavenly Father won't forgive us our trespasses. Wow. So we are, in essence, they're not taking us out. We're allowing to be, ourselves to be taken out because we simply won't forgive. Again, I, I hope, you know, I, I love Pastor Josh. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I don't know that I've ever, and I, I, I could probably exaggerate some from time to time, so I have to watch out. But I don't know that I've ever sat under a more gifted preacher than Pastor Josh. He just simply presents the word in a way that's so true and so strong, and he moves in the Holy Spirit, and he's not afraid of time. He'll just stop, and he'll just wait. But the Holy Spirit, I can't tell you the number of times that through those messages that he has given, that it spoke directly to that experience. I thought, oh my goodness, I am, he's the only one God's speaking just to me. He's preaching just to me. I love that. I love that. I love that. But even Pastor Josh, as good as he is, as much as he loves people, when he says he prays for you, he spends hours of prayer every single week praying for every single person in this church, whether they've been here for a couple of weeks or been here for a couple of decades. As much as he loves this church, there's probably going to be a time that he could do something that might upset us. Something we might not have... You know, those things. We just were, were people... He's human. So don't, again, put faith in pastor. I do. I love our pastor. I love pastor. Again, I'm so thrilled. But the ultimate person who will never fail us is God. Is God. So if I fail you, please let me know and please forgive me. Because I'm just a human. Again, I'm not going to try to do it. Pastor Josh, my guest, would say the very same thing. Anyone here would. So let's forgive one another so that we can be we can be forgiven. Uh, one of the really sad things in Scripture we've talked about, well, I'll say sad, but it turns good, is when Paul and Barnabas were going on their missionary trip. They're going on a missionary trip, and um, Barnabas says, bring John Mark with us. Mark, the writer of the book of Mark, bring him with us. And, and Paul said, no. He cannot come with us because he sidelined himself. We were right in the, remember, Barnabas, we were right in the middle of a missionary trip, and he bugged out on us. He left. He left us in the middle, high and dry. He went off, did his own thing because he didn't want to do it anymore. So no, I don't want him on the team. I don't want him out there on the team because I can't depend on him. So sometimes we sideline ourselves by doing something like that. Now, with all of that and all those things and all that negative stuff that goes on, let me bring it up. Let me take it back. So the last point I want to make is the final score determines the win. The final score determines a win. So in that situation, let me let me jump there and I'll jump back. So with John Mark, 
So then we find that Timothy's talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, this is after all of this has happened. And Paul has said, I don't want him. Paul told Timothy, make sure that you bring John Mark, for he is profitable to me in the ministry. So you're sitting today and you've been here and you've been sidelined. For whatever reason it might be, God wants you to come back. He wants you to come back so that you can be profitable, will be profitable to him. Now the scary thing, I'm going to kind of, again, kind of wrapping it up here. The scary thing about being sidelined. So here's David. So instead of the banners flying and David, he's riding out on this, I just think it's probably either a white or a gray stallion. I love those. Those are my favorite colors, horses. So he's riding out on them. He's riding out then. The banners are flying. And yes, you know, the king is going out. He's going out to battle. He's going out to defend us. He's going out to conquer. Instead of doing that, Joab rides out. So the scary thing about putting yourself on the sidelines is what happens on the sidelines. So instead of going to battle where he should have been, he stays home and gets up on the roof and he sees this beautiful lady on a roof down the road. It's Bathsheba. He says, I want her. I want her. So his servants go and they get her and he brings her there and he has relations with her. And as many times when we commit sin, there are consequences. And this time the consequences was Bathsheba got pregnant. She's with child. Oh, no. What do I do? Her husband, Uriah, is in battle. He's out there where I should be. What do I do? I tell you what, I will bring him back. We'll have him come home so that he can have relations with his wife. And so then it will look like he's the one who got her pregnant. Right? So he brings Uriah home, and he says, Uriah, you know, go in and here's with your wife. And, and Uriah stays out the door. He sleeps on the outside of the door. He says, my men aren't doing this. They don't have this. I'm not going to either. Now David says, oh, no, what do I do? He's taken himself, put himself on the sidelines, and look at this downward spiral. He's, had, he's committed adultery with one of his soldiers' wives. You've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. So if that's not bad enough, Uriah won't have relations with his wife. So he goes to Joab. He sends a message to Joab. He said, Joab, what I want you to do is I want you to put him in the very fiercest battle that there is. One where it's more than likely he's not going to come out. So Joab did exactly that. So he goes out in the battle like a good soldier would. Uriah, he goes out there. He's defending his people. He's defending the people of God. He goes out there and he gets killed. So now not only has Uriah, or not only has David committed adultery, now he's committed murder. He's on the sideline and his life is spiraling downwards. The sidelines are a very scary place to be. He doesn't even realize what's going on until Nathan comes to his house. Tells him a little story about a lamb and a flock of lambs. And there was a man who had one lamb and he loved it. It's all he had. And it was like his child. It was his family. Then there was another man who had a whole flock of sheep. And so they were going to have a feast. So instead of killing one of the lambs with a flock, the guy that had a flock, they killed this little lamb with a guy that just had one. All he had was one sheep. And, and Nathan said, David, what should we do? And he said, kill him. <laughs> no, kill him. This guy's guilty. Let's, let's get rid of this guy. Nathan looked him straight in the eye and he said, Nathan, or I'm going to say, David, you're the man. And at that point, the eyes, his eyes were open. Oh, God, I am so sorry. And that's where we get Psalms 51, where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
renew a right spirit within me. Take not my ho- your Holy Spirit from me. Wow, it was wonderful repentance, and he did. And he came back around, and he thank the Lord for that. But the spiral had consequences. The son that was born of this relationship with Bathsheba, when he was born, he was gravely ill. Lived a little less than two weeks. was gone. David's sons and daughters, one of his sons came after his kingdom. One of his sons raped one of his sisters, and then one of the other sons killed that son. It just, again, it just uh, continued to spiral downwards. So if you're on the sideline today, you may be sitting here and nobody knows. You may be sitting here and everybody knows. But you may be sitting, let's get into the game. Let's get into the game. I truly believe that the Holy Spirit is saying to us today, church, it's time. In fact, it's not just time. It is high time that we awake out of our sleep. There is an enemy out there, but we are, but greater is he, again, that's in us than he that is in the world. But we've got to get off the sidelines. We've got to get engaged. Chris, you'd come up. So as you think about that, and again, I don't, I don't know where your life is today, and maybe it's not you. Maybe there's somebody that you know that has been sidelined. They used to be in church, and they used to be serving the Lord, and they used to have a fervor for Christ, and, and my goodness, God just moved through them, and all of a sudden, they're sidelined. They're not church anymore. They're not living the life. They're not close to Christ anymore. They don't have that relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Tell you what I'm going to do. We have a we have a class on Wednesday night. So just to show you a little bit about this church, a little bit about the people we have in this church. Uh, Micah, if you would come up. Randy, if you want to come up, just stand up and face the face the church, face the, out that way. Uh, Ruthie, would you come up? Okay, Connie, if I can get you to come up. Angie, if I can get you to come up. So these are just about a half a dozen of the people that are part of this body of Christ. This is about a half a dozen of this church. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. I tell you what, I love these people. Love these people. I love to see what God's doing through them. I'm going to pick on Chris first. He's standing up there. But Chris, this is a man of God. Now, when I look at Chris, and when I see Chris and I see his life, he is a solid, steadfast believer. He's unshakable. I can actually stand behind the guy. You can't even see me. This is a big guy. He's awesome. Love Chris. Great guy. God has anointed him the day. Today, used him mightily. That's part of this body. That's part of this church. Mike, I see this guy. You would not believe how much he blesses me. I, I actually get to sit and watch him on Wednesday nights. I, have, I don't know that I've ever seen such a hunger and a thirst for the Lord to grow. He literally inspires me. I'm inspired to know more about Christ and draw closer to Christ because I see what Christ is doing in him. I see that hunger. I see that thirst. I see that growth, and I love it. I so appreciate that. Again, that's, that's part of this body. That's part of, that's part of the talents that gets. That's the players that all have a position. Randy, I've worked with Randy for years. My goodness, maybe decades, I'm not for sure. Love this guy. I tell you what, this guy knows how to go to battle. 
guy's a warrior. You have a problem, there's a problem where Satan's after you. I have a problem, Satan's after me. I'm going to run to this guy and say, Randy, please pray. Please pray. Please pray. Please pray. Ruthie, she's just, she's just fantastic. So, uh, again, sister in Christ. So she is, we're talking one day, we're talking about God and, and different things of him using us. And she was talking about praying. She said, well, she said when she, this lady, when she prays, she believes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she believes. You know, I think it's Mark, Mark 9, 23 that says, Jesus is saying, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to them that believes. So I want to go to somebody. I want to go to Ruthie if I have some, a prayer request and a need because she's going to pray. But not only is she going to pray, she is going to believe. She is going to believe that it's going to happen. She's going to believe for you as you ask to come pray. Angie, love this lady. Haven't, haven't known her very long. You should see her. She sits there. Now, she is the type of individual. I love this. That doesn't talk a lot, but when she talks, you better listen because she has thought it out and God is working her life. God is moving in her life and, again, just simply a joy to be around. Then there's this lady here in the middle. I tell you what. I have never, and I'm going to be real biased here, I've never seen a more godly woman in my life. I haven't. I, I am so blessed to have her by my side. I don't know if you noticed or not. Come here, Connie. So I don't know if you noticed or not, but we're standing up there before the service. She reaches over and she puts her hand on my back and she's praying. You're talking about power in prayer. You're talking about power in this church. The word is very specific when it says, if two agree is touching anything, it shall be done. There is no stronger prayer than between a husband and wife. You get a husband and wife on fire, you get the Holy Spirit working in them, and oh my goodness, watch out, devil, because the walls are going to come down. Now, you guys stand there. I've used this a little bit illustration uh, in the class. So you guys, you want to get at me today? You want to come at me? You're going to have to go through these. They got my back. This is the church. Let's turn around. You guys turn around. So. You want to get to me? You've got to go through these hundreds of people. That's what we are. We're the church of the living God. We are the church that the very gates of hell shall not prevail against. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this morning, if you have been on the sidelines, you've got an entire church that is going to stand beside you and they're going to say, the devil, it's enough. In Jesus' name, we rebuke you. In Jesus' name, we stand against you. In Jesus' name, we cast you out. And you're going to be delivered today. And you're going to walk out of here. And you're going to be walking out and say, yes, I am in the battle. Yes, I'm there. Yes, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you've called me to do, yes, I will. Yes, I will. And we're going to be rejoicing with you. Because that's God's church. That's what he intended. That's who we are. You're here. You've been sidelined in your heart. You guys can sit down. I'm sorry. I'm making you standing face to the other. Good job. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you've been sidelined. This is the time. 
This sermon has been prayed about. It's been talked about. Connie and I have agreed. I know that you guys have been praying too. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, that there are people in this building who have been sidelined. Be careful, guys. Don't stay there, gals, because it's a downward spiral. Don't stay there. Get back in the game. But get back in the game. Maybe you got tired. Maybe you just simply got discouraged and said it's not worth it. It is. Eternity's at stake. Maybe you just simply, maybe you got hurt. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that those things happen, but they do. But they do, but that doesn't mean we get out of the game. That means we forget, we forgive, and we move on in Christ. We move on for victory. We grow, we grow. Church, again, our leaders are right now, they're getting training to take us forward. For the last year, I have seen, and we've talked about it in class, I have seen a crescendo of what God is doing in this body of believers. Every single one of us moving. So now if you're on the sideline, it's time to get up. Need to get back in the game. Need to get back in the battle. Today's your day.